Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, welcome to the PRC show. I'm Paul Cooley and I'm your host. Um, thank you for listening. Today our guest is Sean Riley. He's a lawyer from Miami, a good friend of mine, and we're going to talk a little about a little bit about law, um, politics a little bit, and sort of how he got into law and why people choose to become a lawyer, particularly why he did. Um, and a little a little bit of an edu- educational show today. Um, so stay tuned for that. A little bit longer than like, some of the other shows. But first I want to say, um, you know, I'm doing these shows now and I'm getting a lot of uh, emails. My email uh, is prcshow at gmail.com. That's prcshow at gmail.com. And um, some folks have made some good points about the last episode regarding buffets. And I want to first... Uh, I thought it was a good show. Uh, I think uh, me and Josh had a good conversation. But I want to apologize to... um, Well, let me just say... I, uh, I'm, I'm thinking this show can make me a little bit of a better person, you know what I mean? And um, kind of flushing out some ideas, and I really, after listening to that, realized I didn't stress a couple points that I just wanted to get across, well, I want to get across now, and that is, you know, food deserts are real. Um, the reason why uh, we didn't talk anything about class with uh, buffets, and the, the fact of the matter is, is they're folks that are poor or struggling, working class people, it's easier for them to go to buffets often. Um, and, you know, I kind of sounded kind of snobby there. I'm someone that uh, is, I guess, middle class. I uh, don't have any kids, so it's easier for me to eat out and um, go to restaurants. And uh, that analysis or comment was completely lacking in the last episode. So um, d- for folks that go to buffets, you know, it's... Uh, no judgment. I mean, I'm sort of judging, but at the same time, um, we live in a society that uh, everyone can't eat healthy, and that's I'm upset by that. I also want to say also that, um, you know, folks that are poor disproportionately eat crappy food for a reason, because it's cheaper. And so people that struggle with weight issues, you know, it's, uh, it's no accident that... Um, you know, lower income folks are dis- disproportionately overweight. And I got a couple emails from folks saying that, you know, I was insensitive to that issue and uh, guilty, 100% guilty. Um, I, I um, you know, there's a couple good documentaries out there, King Corn, uh, Food Inc., Read Michael Paul, or any of these things. You know, food deserts, that's the thing where the concept that, you know, you live in an area where there might be a bunch of stores and convenience stores around you, but there's no place to get, you know, fresh groceries or good groceries. And hell, if you go to a grocery store, the more expensive foods are the vegetables and the fresh stuff, the things that should be, um, you should be eating more of. And uh, if you're on a limited budget, you know, if you're on, heck, if you're on food stamps, it's easier just to get, um, you know, uh, some ground beef um, some noodles and get some butter and, you know, make yourself some spaghetti or some sauce and stuff, uh, or meatloaf. There's a lot of protein in that. And, um, you know, that's not the healthiest thing to be eating, but it's going to fill up your, your tummy. And so, um, particularly the show, I think the movie King Corn really talks about this, how the, the government, you know, subsidizes corn, which goes into a lot of, a lot of food products, and how the whole food policy uh, Michael Pollan talks about this, writes about this a lot, um, is really unhealthy. Uh, the whole food policy is n- not geared towards uh, Americans eating healthy food. And then you, and you throw on top of that, you, lo- um, you layer the whole 
corporate food industry and their manipulation of trying to get us to eat all this crap. Um, it's no accident that we have an obesity problem here, and um, I, I just should have been more sensitive to that. And I'm, I'm really upset at myself for being so cavalier and, and not uh, not cavalier is not the right word. Just kind of just uh, so- sounding shallow. Um, at the same time, I, I mean, I do. I think it was. I think we did bring up some funny points in, about buffets, but um, I just wanted to make that statement. Uh, I'm frankly going to be more mindful of that. Um, so, uh, maybe I'll return to that a little bit later. I don't know. Anyways, um, it's really hot here in Harrisburg. It is extremely hot. And, you know, it's like 97 degrees out. It feels like 104 degrees. And, you know, one of the things that I uh, was really looking forward to of getting older was, um, you know, kind of getting be able to do whatever I want, you know, as an adult. You know, also uh, have um, adult relationships with another woman. I'm not going to lie. And also not having pimples. That was that was like kind of the three things that I was really looking forward to. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if it's the heat. I'm 32 years old and my face is breaking out and it is really upsetting. I mean, I, I used to, when I was younger, I had a face that could stop a train. I had horrendous acne. Um, I was even put on medication. I was put on this wonderful drug called Accutane. That has since been banned because I guess people were killing themselves or something. It, there's some dangerous effects to it. I had to get my liver tested like every two weeks because this was such a terrible drug. Though it did cure my um, my horrendous acne that I had. Um, but I mean, it was so bad that people would. Um, I remember one time, uh, this one kid uh, said to me like, oh, "What happened to your face?" <laughs> and it's like, "Well, um, what do you mean?" He's like, "Do you have a rash or what's going on?" No, that's just my horrendous acne that I have. And, you know, you'd get those comments and stuff, and uh, well, I would get them, and it, it wasn't fun. And so, um, you know, it's improved. It's not, it's not horrible, but I'm still getting these pimples, and it's like I'm 32 years old. Uh, what the heck's going on here? I'm still using um, the, the products and stuff, and I had this one product I think was working well. I can't find that at the store. Then I switched to something else. And, you know, when does this go away? I mean, do I have to be in my 40s? I mean, when you're a teen, you know, you expect that, but I'm still having this. I feel like it's getting worse. And I don't know if it's my diet. I don't know if it's the water or the air here in Harrisburg, but um, I don't know. It, it's just troubling. And if, if anyone has any recommendations or anything, email the show at prcshow at uh, gmail.com. But um, thank God I'm married because I, I don't think any woman would want to I mean, they would think I have some sort of, uh, I don't know, illness or something. I look uh, strange. So our show today is brought to you by, um, you know, we're going to be talking about the law. So as as we, as all shows are sponsored, our show is sponsored by the books that I haven't read that I still own. And this show is sponsored by, this is a, this looks like a riveting book. It's called Pursuing Justice, Lee Pressman, The New Deal, and The CIO by Gilbert J. Gall. Um, I got this at Half Price Books. I actually bought two of them when I saw this. I said, oh my God, this looks like such a great book. Um, you know, the law, the how America has sort of been shaped, some of the, sort of the, the, some of the greatest things in America happened during the New Deal and the union movement then. And um, there was two of these at Half Price Books. I only paid like four or five bucks for them. And I actually gave one to another um, kind of uh, a laborite friend of mine that... Uh, I said, look, I've been wanting to give this as a gift for a while. I said, I never read it, but it looks good. You know, it's it's a paperback. It's like 
300 pages, kind of the smaller print, pr- pretty academic, and I just wanted a little bit be more in the zone and know a little bit more about the New Deal in the 1930s, which I, I know probably more than the average bear, but I wanted to read something about the New Deal before I read this book. This is more of like a, you know, this isn't a general survey of it, so... But this guy, Lee Pressman, he was a lawyer for the CIO, worked with John L. Lewis. Um, he was a uh, notorious underground communist and kind of got screwed over in the Cold War years. But um, he was just a really, uh, apparently, a pivotal figure. And um, I just think that uh, I need to read this book. I mean, if anyone has read this book, uh, let me know if it should be something I should move higher up on my to-read list. Pursuing Justice, Lee Pressman, The New Deal, and The CIO. Um, I'm sure, I mean, it is in crisp, clean shape. I'm sure there's tons of these at the half-price books or overstock. So uh, read the, pick it up at a half-price bookstore, used bookstore, read it, and uh, let me know what you think. It's uh, prcshow at gmail.com. All right, we're going to talk to Sean. This show gets a little bit off to a slow start, um, but he's a fascinating guy. Uh, To be honest with you, he is probably the smartest person I know. Um, There's two other people that are pretty smart, I know, but I'm going to say he is the smartest person I know um, and uh, one of the greatest people I know, maybe the greatest. Um, The the show starts off kind of slow, but uh, there's some interesting stuff, and it gets going a little bit. All right, enjoy. Okay, so how are you doing? Uh, good. All right. So, um, I wanted to talk to you about the law. My guest here today is Sean Riley. He's a um, world-famous lawyer. I guess not world-famous, but you're quite famous now in Miami, would you say? Um, I don't know if I'd say famous. I, some people know me, I guess. Like you but went to, uh, you, um, you, you had one at the Supreme Court there, or you were, you were about to go to the Supreme Court? Uh, no, I haven't been up to the Supreme Court yet. I haven't had a case re- reach that. But didn't you have something that was uh, possibly getting to that s- uh, level? Um, some cases that went to the Court of Appeals. Okay. Uh, but never to the the Supreme Court. Right. But y- you've you've won some uh, pretty landmark decisions, or not landmark, but you know, pretty important cases down there where they've gotten uh, press and attention. You know, I have. Uh, I've seen some of the um, yeah. reporting. Yeah, we yeah. had some we had some cases that made the news. Right. And um, what kind of law do you do? Um, I do. I work for a nonprofit, a public interest um, agency, Legal Services of Greater Miami, and I focus on housing um, and mainly people who live in subsidized housing. Okay. Um, not the uh, not necessarily the big buck law. Type. No, no, it's um, we don't charge our clients, and um, I mean generally they're low-income people who live in uh, who are elderly or disabled or can't afford the the services of an uh, of an attorney. So the folks that you're um, representing, uh, I, g- I guess the people on the other side, they probably make the big bucks. They're they're uh, they're not doing it for they're. Their clients are for paying them. That's not subsidized by anybody, right? Uh, generally, generally, I mean a lot of times our opponents, um, the county. But they uh, they contract their work out to a private firm. So mm-hmm. yeah, and they, yeah. And so generally, we're up against a private firm. Or wait, what do you mean the county? You're up against the county. Uh, okay. Well, oftentimes, I mean, a lot of times, the evictions we deal with is from evictions from public housing. Oh, okay. So if it's public housing, that's the housing authority itself owns the oh, project. Oh, interesting. 
So okay. so if they were to bring an eviction, it's Miami Dade County versus my client. And who would be uh, now? Who would you say is more difficult to go up against the folks that are in public housing or whatever, or the more private uh, slumlord type known folks, or is it? Oh, different, just hard. Well, the uh, the slumlords are definitely more difficult because I mean the county, we we deal with them all the time. The attorneys for the county, so we've developed a good relationship with them. We can usually work things out through some sort of settlement agreement, and it's not really in their interest to take cases all the way to to trial. Whereas the slumlord attorneys are kind of a little tend to be more aggressive and even even unethical, and and just aren't really willing to to work things out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, let me uh, step back here. So um, you've been doing uh, this housing law for what, about uh, how, about how long? About six years. Six a years. A little more than six years. Anyway, you you seem to be a man that in your uh, late 20s, mid-20s. I'm 32. 32. Okay, yeah. that's how I am as well. I, ca- I call it 29 and holding. But yep. um, So how did you uh, get into wanting to be a lawyer? Um, well, when I, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a, uh, filmmaker. I wanted to make movies. Um, and then I ended up, I think I, as well, it's I never beca- too late. Right, right. Maybe. But anyway, um, I ended up becoming very politically involved and, uh, uh followed po- political issues very closely. And then when I got into college, I became very politically active on a number of, of causes. Um, and I had thought that the law would be a good way to to advance a lot of the things that I support. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, um, I ended up getting involved with the American Civil Liberties Union. Um, I needed, uh, in one of our protests, we were threatened with being arrested uh, for di- distributing some literature, so the ACLU came in and represented us. Sure. And, and well, just back up a little bit. I, I know a little bit of your history, but I think the listeners, a lot of folks are interested in people's trajectory of how they get from where they are, you know, and from a lawyer to, you want to be a filmmaker. Well, when did this uh, filmmaking, um, and can I please ask you to speak directly into the microphone when you talk. When okay. did you get to the um, uh, the filmmaking? How, how realistic of a thing? I know you did some plays, right, when you were a kid? or Yeah, I wanted to be like an, uh, an actor slash filmmaker when I was a kid. What's ages like, what, 10, 5? I wanted to be a, I wanted no, to play into, for the Pittsburgh Pirates. No, in, into high school, I, I still wanted to do that. See, by high school for me, it became realistic that I wasn't going to be an athlete. I mean, I probably, I'm very good at hitting uh, in the batting cages. I can hit 90, mile par, 90 miles per hour fastballs, but I just my arm's not that good and I can't hit for power. So I realized that wasn't going to happen. You still had this dream in high school sure. of actually uh, being in the movies, being an actor. Well, yeah, making, making films. Making, making films. films. Like, who would you say you wanted to be like? Who was your hero? Um, like Woody Allen. Oh, and he doesn't make big spectacles, so that seems something very doable in a way. Well, yeah. I mean, well, at the time, I thought it might have been doable. But now, did you have camera equipment and audiovisual equipment and stuff like that? Did you ever like work on? Did you write any screenplays or anything like that? No, I I did take video production classes in in high school, but yeah, I, I mean, I ended up deciding that. When did you sort of say maybe I don't want to? Do, this is going to be too. Probably right when I went into college so in high school were you did you write any like little plays or anything that could be considered a movie or did you have ideas in your head no no not really well i made little little movies for my uh, class and whatnot and i yeah i made i made some move uh some like kind of show show type things with my friends and whatnot 
Oh, like like plays or actually via like camcorder video films. Yeah, I made the um like some some of these animation things where you move the uh, the figures like a little bit each time. Oh, and no kidding! Them, what what uh, was the plot of those? Uh, it was mainly just like shootouts between little battles. Um, yeah, yeah. As a seventeen-year-old. Uh no no probably like fourteen fifteen sixteen. Oh okay. But then you like did you and ever? But you never had like any like kind of screenplay ideas or anything. Like that. No no I never wrote a screenplay. Or, or anything like a little short film of like you know I'm mad at my dad or type of thing. Or no. So when did the uh, so by the time the end of high school you're thinking you know what this is and I I haven't been putting enough effort into this maybe I'm I'm a pretty smart guy maybe I should focus on just yeah I mean I didn't really think it was very realistic now that it was time to be an adult that I needed some kind of more realistic outlet right. and also my my interest changed as well and right. I became a lot more politically involved so that caused me to want to and you're from central pa what city are you from elizabethtown pa that's a hotbed of political activity yeah yeah it was well come on what's going on there wh well, yeah, when i was in high school there was the uh, our school board was like a fundamentalist christian and they wanted to take oh interesting they wanted to take dinosaurs out of the science classes and they passed like a kind of an anti-gay resolution and that caused a lot of people in the town to become Active uh, around, and that. this is like nineteen ninety what six. They wanted to take dinosaurs out, right? Because they aren't in the the Bible. They were um, what? Yes, yeah. That the the school board. The school board won. Well, and this is around Jurassic Park too. I mean, that's a great film that was coming out. And so, would they protest that movie as well? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think they press protested the movie. They just didn't want it taught as in science classes. Even in though the, there's bones the, and everything like that. I mean, you can't really disprove that. Right. Well, they, I mean, they, I think they believe that the bones were put on this earth to confuse the um, <laughs> non-believers non as kind of a distraction. That must have been weird. What did kids in your school say? I mean, if were, were you one of the, were other people sort of politically active? Like, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, the town eventually kind of rose up and, and elected kind of a more moderate, Middle of the road uh, Republicans to the the school board. Yeah, but yeah. That was a um. So that was my first what, political. Did the teachers sort of get involved, or did, I mean, they they need to take take a back seat, but they must have thought this is crazy, particularly if you're in a class learning about the, you know, tr Cretaceous or Jurassic period, and well, then you right. have people that are saying, hey, these things uh, shouldn't even be taught. They must have been kind of outraged. Right. Yeah. The teachers were very involved, and they had a um. The teachers' union, the National Education Association, was very involved. And mm -hmm. what, one of the things that happened was the the NEA adopted like a non discrimination policy, which include included sexual orientation. Oh, okay, yeah. And that's one of the things that set the school board off, throwing a fit oh, into this whole they, pro so family thing. Pro family, yeah. The pro family resolution is what they called it, which was against um, gay rights and stuff. Right, right. And dinosaurs. Right. Well, yeah, that was a separate thing, but that was part of their whole uh, strict. Because dinosaurs don't really have anything to do with family. Well, yeah, but they, it it their view is that dinosaurs conflicted with their views of the that the Earth is only six thousand years old and goes into their whole creationist. Right. And if you believe thing. in dinosaurs, you could possibly then believe in other things like people are born different and well, have right. different if you sexual think that, orientation. And right. If you think dinosaurs are million were millions of years old, you can't you can't follow the biblical view of creation which is yeah 6000 or something like that right right yeah that seems strange um so uh, 
when um, were there were other kids though involved in trying to get this uh, this overturned. So you guys win this win this big thing. That see, I, that just sounds so interesting to me because I was uh, underage drinking before football games, which I never really went to, but and um, in a metal band at the time. But you were uh, happened to be an actually literally. I made a joke about it being a political hotbed, but it sort of was. Yeah, yeah. It was a. It got national news. It got national attention. That that whole that school board thing because I mean they were so ridiculous. That Jay Leno made a, a joke about us on the oh really back then like in the the mid. Oh, I wonder 90s. if we could find that on YouTube. And so, um, did that started to make you think about politics or something that you want to do, or uh, how did the law thing come in? Yeah, yeah, that definitely gave me an idea of of wanting to be involved in politics and be concerned about civil liberties and encroachment on you know religious. Did you see, was there a lawyer during that that sort of, uh, or you just saw like the legal maneuvering of how this was going on that made you think about law? No, there there wasn't one particular lawyer who mm-hmm. was involved. I mean, I know the, the teachers union did bring a lawsuit against the school mm-hmm. board for unfair labor practices, which didn't go anywhere. Right. But, but there were some lawyers involved, but it, it was mainly just that was my getting very involved in politics which led me to be interested in the law so you weren't because like when i before i went to um college i you know when you went to the you went to the university of pittsburgh as i did right that's where we met and um i remember uh i toyed with the idea of going to law school and i remember at pitt they didn't have like a pre-law sort of thing it was like you could just classify yourself as pre-law and they would encourage you to take like you know, political science political is probably science, the main thing. Political science and a rhetoric class or something. Or logic. Logic, stuff like that. And um, so I went and I got a history major. Now I'm a nurse. But um, like when I was growing up, I remember liking the movie The Firm and John Grisham. And I remember liking um, Law and Order and The Practice. And that was sort of like, yeah, I don't want to get the bad guys. That'd be cool to be like a lawyer and put uh, bad people away. But, you know, my politics obviously changed, which uh, I attribute uh, somewhat to you, actually. But well, that's for another show. Um, w- did you have any sort of uh, books or uh, shows or you know like that that sort of got geared you towards it? Were you really do you really think it was this um, pivotal sort of uh, dinosaurs and stuff like that? Well, no, it was. I also um, around that time I read a lot of books by uh, Alan Alan Dershowitz. who was a Harvard Law School professor. Oh, okay. Well, that play a role. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote a lot of books about uh, uh, the books I had read on civil liberties issues and, and criminal defense. In uh, high school, uh huh, yeah, you were reading Alan Dershowitz. Yeah, I mean they're not law, but they're not like legal treatises. They're they're um you know legal treatises. Are they're for mass? They're books for mass consumption. They're not for necessarily just for law. Now, were you picked on for that? Because that's weird. If you're reading an Alan Dershowitz book in high school, I mean I don't mm-hmm. even I pst, I know who he is mainly because of you I think, but. How many people do you think were reading Alan Dershowitz in your high school? Uh, not, I pr- pr- I'm probably the only one. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And d- didn't he work on the OJ case? Yeah, he was a he was an attorney for OJ Simpson. Is that is that how you found out about him, or did you know about him prior to that? No, I knew him about I knew about him prior. You to knew that. about him prior to the OJ case. Did you know about like how did you even know about him? Just you you, you so you were really got starting to get into the law prior to college, and it was this whole. Um, Dinosaurs, gay rights thing that sort of uh, percolated your brain to get into this stuff. Yeah, that was a big part of it. Interesting. Um, so, 
you it wasn't like uh reading um the Boo Radley. Who was the person who wrote Boo Radley? Oh, it, um To Kill a Mockingbird was a really good I mean, that's a yeah. classic in the guy no, in the yeah, courtroom. That's, that's and a all great movie. That. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's definitely an inspiration. Great book and the movie. I mean, uh did they ever remake that movie? Cuz there's that classic movie with the Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck, I'll right. tell you what. Yeah, that's a great movie. Great performance. Mm-hmm. Um did they ever remake that? I don't I don't think so. Do you think that's a movie that shouldn't be remade? It's I like, don't No, there's no reason to remake it. I agree. Uh, I mean, sometimes they remake these, and it's just a travesty. But um, anyways, we're getting off subject. Now, was the uh, so going to the law? You you seem to be, you seem to have stayed the course in the sense of you wanted to d- do something somewhat political or political public interest. Public interest. You know, lawyers make a decent amount of money. Let's be honest. Right. Was that a little bit of an attraction? No, no, not really. Because I mean, if you're gonna. If your motivation is to make money, there are much easier ways to do it than through the law. I mean, especially if, especially if you're going into public interest, then you're. I mean, if you're trying to make money by going into public interest, you're not very. Well, certainly, right. but I'm saying, like in college, did you kind of think um, maybe I could do some corporate law or anything like that? No, I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, because um, that's. I mean, people make. My roommates, um, not my roommates, people lived next door to me. There was uh, four young women that just graduated from law school. And I asked one of them what they were going to do. And they said, oh, I'm going to go into corporate law. Right. And I just thought, you know, she's probably what? What are you? How old are you when you graduate law school? 26, 27, 25? I don't know. I think like 26. I mean, she's going to be probably making some really good money, right? right? You know. Well, you never know. I mean, today the, the job market for lawyers is pretty bad. So a lot of, oh, people, really? a lot of people think they're going to be making money and they're just not. But you never know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm surprised to hear that the job market. I mean, I know for journalism and a lot of other things, it's not a good market. But I don't know. Yeah, it's not. It's not a good market to be coming out of law school right or now. Or like uh, English professors, it's probably not a high, right, uh, employable um, racket to be in at this point. Um, okay, so the 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 firm was never John Grisham. You weren't <laughs> reading you, while no. I was reading John Grisham. Um, you were reading Alan Dershowitz. Hence, maybe that's why you're a lawyer and I'm not. I mean, he's not really a. I never read any uh, John Grisham. Oh, I'll tell you what. You read the firm. I, I saw and then a couple of the, the movies. Yeah, okay. and Tom Cruise and he's running around. And he's going up to the law firm. I mean, that maybe uh, maybe <laughs> you don't want to be in the law because it's like the lawyers are trying to kill you. It's a dangerous occupation, but it's an exciting right. read. Well, I think he worked for a very competitive firm in the firm that i mean that's a very high stake yeah i mean i didn't obviously want to do that right that that was in you know the whole legal aspect is fun um so you get to uh university pittsburgh you do uh now this is where you sort of get into um your activism and um now here's what i find interesting you have a very i think think the, the correct analysis of where the law meets activism where some people um, sort of think it's all sort of a legal, a legal route to any sort of uh, change in society. Um, how come you sort of had that? W- w- how did that develop? Going from activism to the law, or at least sort of appreciating both aspects of them. Well, uh, because I I think one of them things like I mentioned before, I got involved in the American Civil Liberties Union, and that was a um, an organization that really, uh, uh, I think, meshed the two in a, in a, in a good way. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, 
also just looking at, at some you know history in in the history of you know pretty much any progressive movement um the um lawyers uh, working on cases were were major part of that i know you were aware of the whole mumia uh, uh, case going on and oh, the, sure. the, that legal team was very important in in pushing that case in the courts right. and just just pretty much any um you know the civil rights movement um, you know, Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP. I mean, just lawyers have always been an incredibly important. Oh, right. Part. And, and it's, uh, I mean, it's it's good you have that perspective. And there, there's some people that don't. I, I recently met a guy. Uh, he's probably, I don't know, seven years younger than us, 25-ish. Um, uh, a flamboyantly gay guy. Um, and he's a, actually kind of conservative Republican-ish. I mean, I think he's middle of the road, but for gay pride, he says things like, um, you know, I'm not all about being in the streets. Just let the courts decide or, you know, and I just think to myself, um, you know, well, we need both. Yeah, you need both. And um, he disparages um, folks that are uh, protesting or, or activists and think that that's silly. And the only thing that you need to do is, um, you know, just file file motions or briefs or whatever like that and, and challenge the courts, which it's like. I don't think we would really get far if we didn't have a uh, public outcry for some of these issues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's not these cases aren't happening in a vacuum. If society doesn't change, the courts aren't going to the courts are going to change with society. Right. And right. the times. Right. Um, and that th have you ever thought about these people? Did you have these folks in your uh, law school or maybe even for the people that you uh, interact with in the probably not at the public interest law firm, but these like strict legal nerds that are like all about constitutional uh, law and all that stuff where to them it really is the uh, what's kind of black and white on paper. Well, right. Well, they th there are some pe strict constructionists think yeah. that the Constitution should be interpreted exactly how it was interpreted in 1791 when the, that, and that the, the application of those principles don't change with the times. Do you think that's a growing or just a persistent view or how, how would you Oh, I think it's very persistent. I think it's become much more persistent. No, I mean, do they think uh, three-fifths of a person? I mean, how do they get around that one? I mean, that's a, the, uh, an African-American is three-fifths of a person in the Constitution. Well, no, but they would say that we amended the Constitution explicitly in the with the 14th Amendment, so that's what changed that. So they, so they would they think the only way the, the application of the Constitution can be changed is through amending the Constitution. You can't have taking up cases to the Supreme Court. And how does the Constitution amend them? It's got to have like two-thirds of the states and then two-thirds of the House and no, stuff like the, that? It has to be two-thirds of Congress and then three-quarters of the states have three to ratify Three-quarters of the states. Have yeah, to ratify yeah, 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 yes. not two-thirds. So two-thirds of Congress. Congress. So that's... Is that two-thirds of the House and the Senate? Right, right. They would take separate votes. Two-thirds so of the House and then two-thirds of the Senate and then three-quarters of the the states. So it seems like, yeah, change is a lot harder to do in the United States than other places. That's a, that's a big pain in the butt to do that, I imagine. Right. So, yeah, so, yeah, so strict, strict constructionists would not, don't still hold to that view of three-fifths of a person. Well, they, some they, of them probably well, do, to be <laughs> honest. I mean, right. they're, they're behind closed doors, I'm sure they have a lot of... Flags and books and literature that might uh, probably be yeah. contrary to that um, what you just said, but um, I mean that's very strange to, that that's a growing a growing uh, or you don't think it's growing it's just it's sort of ever there. Well, no, well, I think in the it became very prevalent through like organizations like the Federalist Society 
which is that John Birch people or no? That's different. No, that uh, the Federalist Society really took over law schools and took over, you know, legal organizations in the in the eighties and nineties and really just molded the ideologies of of law schools and judges to for this view that then was very not prevalent at all that the Constitution essentially was what they call a dead document that it doesn't it doesn't change its application doesn't change with the times. Wait, dead document is a Federalist. Right, right. Oh, the living document is right. like no. This is we need to look at this in the context of you know 2013. Right, and, you know, right, 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 right. Because right. um, you know Thomas Jefferson and James Madison had no views on gay marriage probably at the time. Right, right. I no. mean they would say gay marriage was illegal then when they passed the Constitution. So therefore, how how can you say the Constitution requires gay marriage when it was illegal when they passed the Right. The 14th Amendment. Right. Which was after the Civil War. But the Federal Society. So th- this um, was this this is sort of like a backlash to uh, Roe versus Wade, probably Roe versus Wade and, and the idea of, um, you know, what they what they saw as the Supreme Court finding rights in the Constitution, which they didn't think existed. But like the right to privacy. But isn't the Roe versus Wade sort of a. Um when a lot of these folks aren't they more libertarian, so they would be a they wouldn't have a problem with like abortion and stuff like that. No, I think they're more they're more right wing than they are libertarian um, for the most part. So they'll they adopt the rhetoric of not of wanting individual liberty, but in in actuality they on issues like abortion and gay rights issues and and religion right. being used in the public square, they'd be they're really not for individual liberty. Are they? Would you say they're sort of a uh, a counter to the ACLU, or they're di- they're a little bit different? They're more of an ideological, where the ACLU is more of like a activist defender of right, rights. Right. Right. I mean, the they're ACLU more shaping shaping of view the Federalist Society. Right. Right. The, I mean, the ACLU never had that kind of concerted effort to say we're going to go into law schools and and kind of just change the entire ideology of law students and there has developed like a counterweight a more liberal counterweight to the federalist society called the american constitution society oh okay um and that's just been developing in the past 10 to 15 years is the um is the federalist society did you see them at your school where did you go you were i remember when we were in college um we we went to the same college together and i remember you were going to be accepted uh to cooley law school which i was so proud of you (laughs) Um, as a, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm related to Cooley College at all. My last name's Cooley, but, um, I was so proud that you got accepted to that school and, um, but you didn't go there. Yeah. Well, that was more of my safe school. That was kind of a school where I would go there if I didn't get in to get accepted anywhere else. Yeah. Where did you end up going? Syracuse University. Do you regret not going to Cooley Law School? No. Well, no, I'd probably have a lot less student loans if I had gone to see to Cooley Law School. Yep. But so in that sense, then it, it probably would have g- been good for me to go to Cooley. My but wife I'm doesn't think this is true, but I am thrifty. And, and right. anybody with the Cooley name, we're going to tr- we're going to do it on a, on a budget. Right. Yeah. 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 Where was that school at? It was in like a terrible place, wasn't it? It was in Michigan somewhere and it was very new. It was like it had been developed within the past Oh right! You don't want to take a chance. Yeah, I mean, who who knows yeah. when they're going to lose their accreditation or or, or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Right. Well, see, I, I there I could somewhat be related to this because my father's um, f- uh, his father 
abandoned him before he was born. Now, it's unlikely that he went on to become a lawyer and become successful. He's probably a you know, drunk deadbeat. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but this was in 1946. So okay. we don't know whatever happened to um, John Cooley. If, I mean, if he's still alive listening to the show, you, he can email the show at prcshow at gmail.com. But anyways, I want to get back to this Federalist Society thing because I find it interesting probably wouldn't have had Federal Society folks at Cooley Law School because they're probably... Well, who knows? But did they have them at Syracuse? Yeah, yeah. They had a they had a very active Federalist Society oh, really? um, organization. I, and when I had... I mean, when I went to law school, in, uh, they had just... The Supreme Court had just ruled on Lawrence versus Texas. Oh, which it, are you, sodomy. Do you remember That's that? That's sodomy, yeah, right? Right, yeah. The, well, they were probably... What was their view on that? I'm, fi- I'm curious. They were against that decision because they said the states had the right to... Uh, restrict the sexual activities of individuals in the privacy of their own bedroom. The Constitution did not speak to that, so therefore they, the Supreme Court should not have been ruling on that issue. Um, that was so a 5-4? No, yeah, no, that was 6-3. That was 6-3. Oh, interesting. Um, that was only in 2002. Three, 2003. 2003. Yeah. So that's when it became illegal for states to say homosexual lovemaking is... Illegal is, is it, legal, right? I mean, back then there were thirteen states that made it illegal to be gay or to, to, to yeah. have gay sex, right? And so the Supreme Court said to those thirteen remaining states, though those laws are not wow, that's so crazy. Yeah, not long ago. Yeah, yeah, and that's the one where Scalia did say something to the effect of, "Next, you're going to have gay marriage, right. isn't it?" Yep, yep. Well, hof- well, let's hopefully he's right. Yeah. Well, he's. Uh well, he's a character. Um, but um, were they on your campus, the Federal Society? Now, wh- wh- what kind of folks would you consider them to be? Um, n- not very social. Not very. I mean, they were they were intel very intelligent. Like Poindexter types with the glasses. Like it says here, um, you know, this is what the law says. Strict. And even though it's like ruining people's lives, they're just right. like very almost like they all have like Aspergers. Right. Well, that uh, well, and also very ideal ideological. I think they were right wing to begin with, so they were searching for a legal a view of the law which would confine to their a worldview. Right. Right. Exactly. I don't think it's the other way around. They they didn't they didn't mold their politics to to fit the constitution. They right. molded their view of the constitution right. to fit their right. their politics. And um, t- I'm sure there was an ACLU chapter right on campus. What. I I don't think there was an, an ACLU chapter. There was an um, American Constitution Society and chapter. The, and there's a people for the American way. That's also like a liberal sort of free speech-ish, right? R- well, yeah. I mean, they didn't have a law school group. When I got there, it was very conservative law school. There was a there was a law school Republican group, but there wasn't a law school Democrat. Group. In Syracuse? Yeah, in Syracuse, yeah. That's like a Democrat city? Law- well, it's it, not really. I mean, the um, it's pretty pretty conservative really? area. Yeah, I mean they had a, a Republican. I feel like I've I've been I've been to a couple gay clubs up there. Well, yeah, they they do have a they do have a couple gay bars, but they, uh, the the city as a whole isn't certainly Actually, I've yeah, I've never been to Syracuse. It's not Yes, you have. No, I never did. Okay. Yeah, no, I I I didn't make it to that one trip. But um So that was the, they were the powerhouse stu- the law student organization there. Not yeah, the powerhouse, well, yeah, but they the, were, the lone one. They were very uh they were very powerful and we started a um we started an ACS chapter to kind of counter that. Amer- what's ACS? The American Constitution, Constitution Society. Society. They're okay. like the more liberal. And they, they're thing. a 90s organization. Right, right. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you, I want to change change it up here. 
Uh, well, we'll just stick with this Federal Society for a second. Um, did you ever get into any uh, discussions with them about like their view of the Constitution? Is that sort of how you know this, or is it just some reading about them? Or yeah, I mean, I had conversations with them, um, and, and they just came across as pretty right wing and yeah, yeah, very conservative. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they I didn't really have many interactions with them. Are directly. they fans of Roberts? Do you think they'd be fans of the Roberts Court? Yeah, yeah, I, th I think so. Um, yeah. I mean, I think they'd be ha very happy with the Voting Rights Act. What's your thoughts on the Voting Rights Act? That seems like a very bad thing that just happened. Yeah, well, yeah it definitely is. Um, it definitely is. But I guess it, what the Supreme Court decided was that the, the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965, mm -hmm. and in 1965 it, it placed these restrictions on states which had a history of racial discrimination right. that uh, uh, and that was a restriction place that wasn't placed on other states. Right, right. So the Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional to place on these particular these states. particular states and a time period when uh, when we've completely changed from you don't have the same history of racial discrimination. Is is what? And Supreme how many Court states said. is it? Is it seven or is it all the southern states? It's, I don't, I don't think know. It's, I don't it's think it's thirteen. The, it's like. It's most of the southern states, and it's some. It's not even all the in Florida. I know the northern part was covered under the Voting Rights Act, but uh -huh. the, the bottom two thirds weren't. And and the 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 view of the court, Supreme Court, is Congress can then redefine which states, right, get this right. protection. Yeah, they need to modernize the formula they used to. And determine why which why why is that unlikely to happen? Well, because I mean, you can't get the the Congress to agree on what day of the week it is. Right. I mean, it's so... Uh, it, there's such total gridlock uh, with the Congress that they're never going to approve a new voting so rights what does this So what does this do for the voting rights then? It, I mean, it must completely make it, like, meaningless. Well, if... It'll make it a lot easier for the states that were covered by the voting rights that were covered to, to enact more restrictive voter ID laws because they're now they don't have to get pre-clearance from the the Justice Department. And that's what was happening before with the Voting Rights Act, that there are any sort of changes to stuff, they has to get clearance and right. kind of oversee. Right, yeah. right. Um, so now now that they're not going to have to do that, it's going to be a lot, it's going to be much, much easier to enact restrictive vo you know, voter right. registration laws, voter ID laws, restricting registration, changing... Uh, districts to uh, gerrymandered uh, districts and and so forth. Now we have that happening in Pennsylvania right now, and it's it's become it's uh, it's occurring. And I wonder in Florida, um, whether you sort of got this conservative governor, um, do you see that playing out itself in any way? Well, ac actually, shockingly, the, in this legislative se session, we did see some improvements. Oh, really? made to vote because they were um, the legislature previously a couple of years ago had had made it so bad they oh. they got rid of early voting they got rid of voting the Sunday before an election that was specifically to target African American churches who were taking their parishioners to oh, the, okay. the polls uh, and um, they really restricted the hours in and uh, so they got rid of some of that in this legislative session because the 2012 elections were just such a, a Laughing, they made the the state of Florida laughing stock as it often is. Right, right, right. Um, well, is there anything else you'd like to talk about with uh, constitutional law or the federal society? Uh, no, no. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for uh, coming on the show, and uh, we'll have to do another one of these. All right.
Okay, I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, I know that wasn't probably the most exciting conversation, but, you know, we're still getting in the swing of things here, and hopefully we'll have uh, Sean on again sometime. Um, you know, I uh, really made me think about that movie, The Firm. I really love that movie. Um, I wonder if I watch it again if, I, if I'll think it's terrible. I remember watching uh, the show Elf recently, and I loved that show when I was a kid. And then I saw it uh, on YouTube um, maybe a year or so ago, and that was, it was horrendous, unwatchable. So, I don't know. Okay, guys, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll have another show probably in about a week or so. Thanks. Thanks.